This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. All right. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. I'm glad you made it out. I know a lot of you have tomorrow off, but I'm still glad you honored God today. If you need a Bible, raise your hand up real high. You know, oftentimes in our life, when we go to the table to eat, we eat uh, large portions of food. Well, this morning you need to get a Bible because I'm going to give you a large portion of the Word of God for you to eat on today, okay? We're going to go to a bunch of scriptures. Once you've got a Bible, go with me to 1 Timothy 1. As you saw there, we're going to talk about the Apostle Paul today. Um, very, very dear to me just because of some of his past life can bear witness with kind of how I am. So it's very good to do this. Now, when we talk about him, you're going to see how he was in his past life, his present while he was on this earth and the very end. That's the goal. Now, for the last few weeks, if you've been here, actually, this is probably the seventh week. We've been extreme makeovers. We've talked about John. We've talked about the Samaritan woman. We've talked about Matthew, the lame man, Mary Magdalene, the adulterous woman last week. And every one of those that we just mentioned, they had an encounter with Jesus when he was still on this earth in the flesh. And so today you're going to get the apostle Paul today. And at one time he was Saul and his encounter with Jesus was just as real as the other ones that I just talked about. The only difference in his was when Paul had his encounter with Jesus, Jesus had already died and he had ascended to heaven. Now, I like this because this gives me and you hope, that gives me and you proof, this gives me and you a truth to stand by, that just as he had an encounter with Jesus, we can still have it. Now, next week we'll talk about Moses, and that's a whole other ball game, but we'll talk about that next week. So we get ready to begin here in 1 Timothy 1, and just this is just my opinion. I personally believe apart from Jesus, the Apostle Paul... He shaped Christianity more than any other man. But he always wasn't a saint, okay? And so we'll start here, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 15. This is a faithful saying or a faithful word and worthy of all acceptance. Something you can take to heart. Now, when he says this here, it's if he's saying you need to accept this. You need to really get a hold of this. So look what he goes on to say. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I can never forget that right there, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So no sinner is beyond the power of God to save you. You're not too far gone. And one of the reasons we showed you the people up here on the video you saw Hitler. You saw guys from ISIS that are literally beheading people's uh, children to this day. I mean, you saw the nut from North Korea who likes to hang out with Dennis Rodman. You know, but I look at all those people. And God loves them and God will save them. Even though as crazy as that may sound, God still loves people. Now watch what the Apostle Paul says about his own life. Of whom I am chief. I am the worst sinner. I am the foremost sinner. It's amazing, isn't it? 
that this guy here at one time identified himself as the chief sinner. But yet Jesus saved him. Jesus gave him the opportunity to be saved. Now, with me saying that right there, let me ask you that question. Have you accepted his offer to make him Lord of your life? And it doesn't matter how bad you think you are or you've been, he'll still save you. And if you have been saved, do you live appreciative? Do you live grateful? And you say, thank you, Lord Jesus. And to a degree, I think that's what the apostle Paul was saying right here. I'm grateful. At one time in my life, I was the chief sinner. Now, going backwards, I'm going to read verse 14. And the grace of our Lord Jesus was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. One translation says there that God's grace superabounded. Do you know his grace still superabounds? And God's still in the business of saving and forgiving sinners to this day. His grace is still at work. Now, go with me to the book of Acts. Chapter number 6. And you ones who like to stay ahead of the gang, we're going to be in Acts 6, Acts 7, Acts 8, and Acts 9. Just a little bit in each one because we're going to go back and I'm going to give you a little journey about how this guy, the Apostle Paul, when he was Saul, how his life looked like. And you may be able to identify it before you got born again too. Acts chapter 6, verse number 8. And Stephen who was a man of God, who was preaching Jesus, was full of faith and power. Now, I want you to get a hold of that right there because there's a truth right there. The majority of the time in the New Testament, but almost always in the book of Acts, when you see power is directly linked or tied to the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself said in Acts 1.8, he said, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you'll receive power. In Acts, uh, right here, Acts 6 verse 5, when it described the, the man Stephen, it says a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. It's big we get this, guys, because when you see these men of God that were doing the great things of God here on the earth, they were full of the Holy Spirit. Keep reading. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen. These were Roman slaves at one time, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. They were disputing with him. They didn't like that he was preaching Jesus. Verse 11. Then they secretly induced or instigated men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God, against the holy place and against the law. Now, what they were really upset was that he was preaching Jesus. And so they basically lied about him. And because of all the things they falsely accused him of saying, He's arrested. God forbid that we ever be arrested for speaking Jesus. You know, we don't see that much in America yet. But yet this guy wasn't ashamed of Jesus. So he preaches about Jesus and he gets arrested. Turn to Acts chapter 7, verse 51. Now, when this passage comes to pass here, this man Stephen... He doesn't understand at this point, but his life is literally on the line. He's on the verge of death. But look how bold he is with the things of the Lord. He says in verse 51, he says, You stiff-necked, stubborn, and uncircumcised in heart and ears. The Jews were, were circumcised outwardly, 
But their hearts were never circumcised. Their ears were never circumcised to the things of God. So this is what he's telling them now. But pay close attention to what he says. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. Now over and over again, you'll see here this morning the significance of the Holy Spirit. There's a question in that verse that I ask you today right now. Do you resist the Holy Spirit? I can't get away from this truth, guys. I don't care who you are. I can't resist the Holy Spirit. Keep reading, verse 52. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, Jesus, of whom you now have become the betrayers and the murderers. Now, he didn't back off. Who have received the law by the direction of angels, but you've not kept it. You've not obeyed it. Verse 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart or they were infuriated. And they gnashed at this man named Stephen with their teeth. But he being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now, this is a powerful thing right here to get a hold of what Stephen's seen. He, he's right here. He's seen this vision of Jesus. And in Acts 1, beginning in verse 9, when, when Jesus ascended into heaven, he went and he sat at the right hand of the Father. In, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12, it says, forever he'll be seated at the right hand of the Father. You know why Jesus was seated at the right hand of the Father? Because you don't sit down until the job's done. The job was done. He finished it and he did it with great victory and authority. So what's the significance of this? Stephen sees this vision of Jesus, but Jesus isn't seated at the right hand of the Father. It says he sees him standing up. And I believe the significance of this is because of what is beginning to happen with this man of God named Stephen. That he gets all of heaven's attention so much that Jesus stands up. And when Jesus stands up from the throne room of God, it's as if he's giving him a standing ovation. You know why? He didn't back off from the things of God. He kept telling them the truth. So we pick up verse 57. Then they cried out with a loud voice. They stopped or they covered their ears and they ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. So this man named Stephen is preaching the word and they get so irritating they drag him out of the city and they literally stone him to death. And while they're doing this, this man who we referenced himself as the chief sinner, he witnesses it, he consents to it. Now think about what's going on in this guy's mind. He's seen this man stoned to death. Verse 59. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my sight. So not only did Saul consent of this, the next thing happens, he witnesses this man named Stephen say, Receive me, Father God. Receive me, Lord Jesus. But it doesn't end there. Look at verse 60. 
Then he knelt down and he cried out with a loud voice saying, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. Can you imagine how powerful this was? That here not only are they stoned him to death, but his last words here on earth is he looks to Father God and says, Father God, I forgive them. Don't charge them with this sin. Exactly what Jesus did on the cross. And then he falls and he dies right there. Now when you read this, I believe personally that the man named Stephen, the things he did and Saul witnessed before his eyes, I think it put a seed on the inside of Saul. I don't think he ever forgot this. Keep reading chapter 8, verse 1. Now Saul, here he's again, was consenting to his death. At that time, great persecution arose against the church, which was in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except apostles. As for Saul, he made havoc, cruelty or violence of the church. Entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Now the reason I read this to you is I want you to get a biblical sense or a biblical glimpse of why the Apostle Paul referred to himself as the chief sinner. But I can never get away with what we read first in 1 Timothy 1.15. He said, for this cause Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Paul was a candidate just like you and me. Even though he had a bad past, even though he had lived in incredible sin. Go with me to chapter 9, verse 1. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. And he asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound or in chains to Jerusalem. So when you read this, you say, why was Saul so anti-Jesus? Why did he do this because of all these believers? Paul was very jealous for his Jewish beliefs. Now understand this about Paul himself. He was a Jew. He was a Hebrew. He was a Pharisee. That was raised under some of the strictest guidelines of a Jew. He studied under a man named Gamil. And so he did not like when they were preaching Jesus. He despised it. Verse 3. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Now understand this. He's on his way to Damascus, and you know why he's going to Damascus? He's going to kill some more Christians. Right here, in one of the most extreme situations in life as far as sin is concerned, Jesus has this encounter with him. Watch what happens. Verse 4. Then he fell to the ground and he heard voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Remember, Paul was persecuting people and Jesus said, when you persecute people, you're persecuting me. When you oppose people in the name of Jesus, you're opposing me. Verse 5. 
And he said, who are you, Lord? What a question. Saul asked Jesus, he says, who are you, Lord? Now pay close attention to Jesus' response. Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. It's useless for you to resist. And so when he says, who are you? Jesus identifies himself and says, I'm Jesus. Now watch what happens next. Verse 6. So Saul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord. I believe right there at that moment, the man named Saul gets born again. Jesus identifies himself as Lord and Saul says to him, Lord, Lord. Keep reading. What do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the city and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless. I bet. Can you imagine this setting? Hearing a voice but seeing no one. And and I still wonder to this day, how many of those men that were on their way to Damascus with him to kill Christians, how many of them got born again that day also or later on in their life? They witnessed this. They watched this extreme makeover. They watched this guy named Saul who was consenting to all these deaths have this Jesus experience. Verse 8. Then Saul arose from the ground and where, when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there's a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias and To him, the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he's praying. Something big right there we can learn, every one of us. When we get born again, we should develop a prayer habit. We ought to be men and women of prayer. We ought to be ones that get before God on our hands and knees. And so he sees him praying in this vision. And in the vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Now, Ananias was a believer. Ananias was a son of the Lord Jesus. He'd gotten saved and he knew that he could go in there that in the name of Jesus, this is Mark 16, he'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. So he's just going to, he's just going to obey what the, the Lord Jesus instructed. So keep reading. He goes to lay his hand on him. He might receive sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. How much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. So he gives Ananias this dream. and, And Ananias is very much aware of Saul. And you know what Ananias is saying to him? Are are you sure we got the right guy? Are you sure this is the right place, this, this, this road called straight? Is this where you really want me to go? Think about this in this sense right here in two ways. Number one, you're not too far gone to become saved. I don't care how big of a sinner you are. God still has a plan for you, okay? Number two, if you have loved ones in any capacity, great friends that aren't saved, 
And there's times in your life when you see the things of God, you say, it's impossible for them to be saved. Don't ever give up on them, okay? Don't ever quit praying for them. Because right here, this was the guy who referenced himself as the the chief sinner. And here he is now coming into the family of God. Verse 15. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel, a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and he entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, part of the family God. Yo, bro, here you go. We're here together. The Lord Jesus appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Wow. Not only does Jesus want to save you, he wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit was a big deal back then, and it needs to be a big deal to this day. Because when I read about these New Testament guys, especially in the book of Acts, they would have never fulfilled the things of God without the Holy Spirit. Now look at the next verse, verse 18. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. And he received his sight at once. And he arose and was baptized. Now there's some nuggets in there. For several months now on Wednesday nights, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit. When you get born again, the Holy Spirit baptizes you into the family of God. Saul gets born again. We see that he confesses Jesus as Lord. But also in this passage... We see baptism number two. He said that you would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And baptized number three is he gets water baptized. So again, I see all three baptism in Saul's life just blows up. There it is. It happens. And so when we read this, we look and we say, And life was easy. Life was smooth sailing for Saul. Life was so easy, he lived happily ever after. End of the story. Not even close. Salvation for every one of us is the starting point. That's not the ending point. I want you to look at something really close right here in verse 16. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. I will. How many things he must suffer? See, God is into commitment, God's not into comfort. And so, oftentimes in our life as believers, we've had this thought or we've even been taught when you get born again, you'll never have any problems, any issues ever again. That's not true. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And this will give you a glimpse of the man who gets called into the ministry to bear witness of the name of Jesus and what takes place in his life. Remember, he's the chief sinner. 
2 Corinthians 11, verse 22. The Apostle Paul talking. He said, are they Hebrews? So am I. Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed or the descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. Do you know one translation says, I speak as a madman. Keep reading. I am more in labors, more abundant in stripes, above measures in prisons, more frequently in death, often and again and again and again and again. He says, I'm whipped. I've been in prison. These things started happening because of the name of Jesus. Now, when we go back to Saul's life before he gave his heart to Jesus, he lived with a passion. He lived with a tenacity to say, I'm going to kill Christians. I'm going to do whatever I can to keep them from preaching the name of Jesus. But when Saul gets born again and becomes Paul, he lives with a passion and a tenacity now for the name of Jesus. And that's big. We see this. So many of us in our lives, we live strong for the devil, even without realizing it. But I'll tell you right now, I want to live stronger for the name of Jesus than I ever did for the kingdom of darkness. And God wants to fill us with that passion to never become satisfied, where we keep living for him abundantly. Now watch what happens in these next few verses. He said, as a fool... I am more in labors, more abundant in stripes, above measure in free prison more frequently, and death often from the Jews five times. I received lashes, 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often. In dangers of water, in dangers of robbers, in dangers of my own countrymen, in dangers of Gentiles, in dangers in city and wilderness, in danger in the sea among false brethren, in weariness, in toil, in sleeplessness, often in hunger and thirst and fastings, often in cold and nakedness. And many believers right here, when we hear the experiences that Paul had as a servant of God, we think, that can't be a God. We're not supposed to go through any persecution for Jesus. Life's supposed to be easy. See, this is what's happened in America. Things are changing. There's going to be a time we're going to have to stand up. And I sit and look when I see videos and you know, I saw one that they were in the nation of Iraq and, and, and the men and women that lived there that were Christians, the guys from ISIS brought them out. And they took their children. And right there in front of their children, they would say to their mother and father, denounce Jesus or we're going to cut the children's head off. Think about this in your life. What would I do in that situation? And there were many that witnessed the beheading of their children. And we as Americans, we get frustrated when we're caught 20 minutes in traffic. We get frustrated 
When we say something about Jesus and we get persecuted just a little bit right now. But yet, here was a man who said, you know what? I used to be the chief sinner. Now I'm going to live for the Lord all the days of my life. Now turn back to to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and I want you to see this. 1 Corinthians 15. This man was incredibly humble. Verse number 9. Apostle Paul speaking, he said, For I am the least of the apostles. I am the least of the apostles. Almost to the degree of embarrassed to be doing what he was doing. Why would he say that? Who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. I am the least of all the apostles because of my past life, what I did. And he never forgot what he did, but he also, the greatest thing is he never forgot what Jesus had done for him. How Jesus had set him free. And in the kingdom of God, the person that the least, it becomes the greatest. But the person that thinks he's the greatest, he becomes the least. This guy said, I'm the least of all the apostles. In my opinion, he was the greatest. Why do I say that? There's 27 books in the New Testament. He wrote at least 13 of them. I personally believe 14. I believe he wrote the book of Hebrews with Luke. But this guy here was so humble. How could this guy be so humble? How could this guy be so different that you saw an extreme makeover in this guy? Look at verse number 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. It wasn't useless. I didn't do anything with what he called me to be. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. He said it was all by the grace of God. He understood the calling. He understood I had to work hard. The New Living said, he said it was because God poured out his special favor on me. So when I look at this, what happens with the Apostle Paul, you literally get to see a man who was a mess that became a miracle. A man who had an experience and an encounter with Jesus. I want you to think about a couple things, what we've read today already. You know, in God's eyes, sin is sin. But as human beings, many times, we want to categorize sin. That this one is worse than that one. And so I I think this would probably be unanimous if I ask us to raise our hands. If I said, how many of you believe the murder of another human being would be one of the worst sins you could possibly do? We'd all probably agree. In saying that, do you believe that people commit murder can still go to heaven? Here's the Apostle Paul, guys. And I don't know for sure that he he ever killed anyone himself, but he consented of it. 
And when we get to heaven, the Apostle Paul will be there. The reason I tell you that is to see God's still in the saving business. Now, I'm not saying there's not consequences for killing somebody. There's going to be consequences. But when I look at this, and I said earlier that I believe the seed that what Stephen did got impacted in Saul of Paul's heart somehow. I really wonder if the very first person that met Paul when he came into the kingdom of God wasn't Stephen. And you talking about an embracing. Because remember what Stephen said. Don't charge them, Father God. I forgive them. Now look with me into Acts chapter 26. We're getting close. We're getting close, okay? Hang in here. Don't let lunch start distracting you. You'll get to eat, I promise you. So now this is King Saul. This is Paul. He's at the latter end of his life. Actually, what we're getting ready to read is approximately five years before his death. He's now a prisoner himself for preaching the name of Jesus. He's under the control of a man named King Agrippa. And in this passage here, he recounts his conversion, how he gets born again. Understand this though. He doesn't know how long he has left on this earth. And most people believe that the Apostle Paul's death, he was beheaded. For the name of Jesus. Acts 26 verse 12. While thus occupied as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests at midday. O king along the road I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining around me. And those who journeyed with me and when we had all fallen to the ground I heard a voice speaking to me saying in Hebrew language. Saul, Saul why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goat. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now you said, we just read that. Yeah, we did in Acts 9. The only difference in Acts 9 and here, verses 16, 17, and 18 were not spoken in Acts 9. Now you got to get this right here. Verse 16. But he said, rise and stand on your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose. To make you a minister and a witness both of things which you have seen. Of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins. And inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Why did I read that? Only when you fulfill your purpose on this life will you be fulfilled on the inside. See, many of us, we get up Monday morning and we go to work and we think, it's just my job. It's not just your job. Just as this was... Paul's purpose. Let me read verse 18. And this is your purpose. This is my purpose. And listen. To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light. 
and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. You're called to be a witness. You're called to be Jesus' hands and feet where you work. Did you realize that you may be the only example that people will ever see of the Lord Jesus? And I know there's one of you in this room that you are literally letting the Lord allow you to evangelize your workplace. I applaud you. I worked for 18 years in a place where I believe I was the only Christian. And there was persecution. But oh, there's fruit from it now that I can look at certain ones and I can see. I tell them the truth. And many of them will be in heaven. And it's the same with me and you. You can't back off just like the Apostle Paul didn't back off. Look with me in 2 Timothy 4, and this is what we'll end with. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And as you're turning there, I'm going to quote a couple things that the Apostle Paul did. He said in Philippians 3.13, he said, One thing I do, now listen real close. One thing I do, I forget my past. And I look to the future. I look to the things that are before me. And every one of us in this room, we have some form of a past. And if I keep allowing myself to revert back to my past, if I keep looking back and I keep looking back, it paralyzes my future. Paul wouldn't allow that to happen. Think about this, guys. This was the guy who said, I'm the chief sinner. And I know some of us in this room, we kind of think, well, we may have ran him a close race. But one of his keys was, I quit looking back to my past. I can't change my past. Yesterday's over. Tomorrow's not here. All I have is today. And so if I live within my past, I live with a continual depression, defeat. I become agitated. I become angry. And when all those are symptoms in my life, it's a sure sign I'm a victim of my past. See, that's where the grace of God comes in. And you say, Father God, take me out of that. Wash me from my shame and my guilt and move me forward. And understand this about your past. There will be people that will try to remind you of your past. But you know what? You come to the conclusion and you understand just as we sang. Woo! He's a good, good God. And I'm a child of God. I'm a new creation. I'm a a 2 Corinthians 5, 17, 2, 21. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. And I don't allow that to stop me. Now look how he ends his life in 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 6. He said, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. You know what he's talking about here? Death. He understands, guys, he's on the verge of death. His life on this earth is about over. Verse 7. I have fought the good fight. Those words are interesting to me. He said, I fought the good fight. 
This thing called life is a fight. It's a battle. And as long as you're here on this earth, you're going to be in a battle. And you say, I don't want to be. Too bad. The Bible's very clear. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the demonic entities. And so you're in a battle. You're going to have to fight. This is the same man who said in Galatians 6, 9, he said, don't grow weary in doing good. He had to fight off weariness himself. But he said, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. It's not how we start, it's how we finish. And oftentimes as believers, we don't finish the race. He didn't say, I got halfway around this thing called life and I stopped. He said, I finished the race. And look how he stops here, ends in verse 7. I've kept the faith. I've been faithful to the call. I have to look at that verse myself and I have to ask myself that question. If this was it, could I answer and say, I fought the good fight. I've run the race to the best of my ability. I've finished the calling. I've done it, Lord. See, it's the thing every one of us have to ask ourselves. And he ends in verse 8. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. The fullness of eternity. Which the Lord the righteous judge will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Now here's a great question for you today. Is your life preparing you for death? Is your life preparing for you for death? See, understand this. When we talk about death, it's not if I'll die, it's when I'll die. And when that day comes, it's over. As far as this place called earth. I can't go back. I can't change nothing. I'm either going to go into eternity in heaven or I'm going to go into eternity in hell. And he said right there that I'm going to stand before the judge. And you're going to stand before the judge. And we're going to give account for everything we've done. And so when I look at all this, I want to live life to its fullest. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.